Hi, and welcome to the White Hill podcast series. My name is Roger. I'm one of the pastors here at White Hill, and we're glad that you've chosen to listen to one of the podcast messages today. Our prayer is that you would be challenged and inspired to take the next steps in your journey with God as you listen to this message. If you want to keep in touch with more things that are happening at White Hill, head to our website at whitehill.church and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Enjoy this message now. The Bible reading this morning for us is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. I'll read it now. It'll be up on the screens for you. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it had been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learnt it from... Man, I completely lost it. You know how many times I've practiced this one word? I've, I can't even... I prefer that, that, that guy. Our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Who would rather be in bed with a coffee and a book? Ah, oh, that's a trap. Don't put your hands up. <laughs> that's right. We won't judge here. Promise. No, I hope you, uh, you've all had a good weekend, despite the rain. I, I'm sort of like really frustrated and over it already. Um, last time this happened was the floods, which we don't want to talk about. Um, but I actually had a friend up from Victoria, and it seems that every time we have friends, some of the interns, the Victorians, Josh and Victorian, every time their friends come up, it just starts pouring down rain. So we need to get rid of them or just like <laughs> close the borders again or something. But 
I'm kidding, I stir, I stir. But last time I had a friend up, um, it was pouring down rain, we're like, what are we going to do? Beautiful sunny Queensland was not so sunny and beautiful anymore, so we decided we'd head out to Queen Mary Falls. Has anyone been there before? Yeah. yeah, exactly, beautiful day for it as well. So it was pouring down rain, um, I'm surprised we even got there with all like the, the little river crossings I had to do in my little Kia Cerato, but we got there. Um, <laughs> I do call it my ute, my four-wheel drive, but that's right. Um, So we got there, and we literally just walked through the pouring rain, and we got to the falls, and this thing was incredible. Like, I think it's something ridiculous, like 40 meters or something, Um, and this thing had ridiculous power. It was full and flowing, um, and it was just stunning. But whenever I see a waterfall, I get this urge to do that thing where you, like, you swim underneath it, and you've seen those, like, Instagram models with, like, the water going through the hair, and you're like... (laughs) Almost like those shampoo ads, somebody's like out underneath, you can always feel that cold refreshment coming through. Um, so in the pouring rain, we try to climb over the, the slippery rocks and get closer and closer, but the problem was the power of the water would hit the rocks and spray up, literally like somebody was gurneying the back of my eyeballs. Um, so we couldn't really see even where we were meant to be going and really didn't get close at all. So. It was a relatively unsuccessful trip, but other times I've been, again, it's the same thing. I'm like, I've got to get under it somehow. If it takes me half an hour to clamber over the rocks to get there, I will find a way and I will swim under the waterfall. Um, And it's so powerful. You sort of think it's going to be like that, you know, that nice, peaceful, gentle, the cold water, little massage on the head. But in reality, it's more just like a pallet of bricks has been dropped on your head Um, And as soon as you actually find a way to get under it, it just pushes you down and to the side. You can't really just stay there because you don't actually have the strength or the the foundation to withstand the force of the falls. And sometimes I feel like this, maybe you felt like this as well, is that at times in life it feels like that pallet of bricks or just that force is right on top of your head. It feels like it's pushing you down. And even if it starts as a small weight, a small burden, a small annoyance, over time it feels like that heavy pallet just dropped down on top of you until you give over to it or you break. And today we're going to start this series called Greater Than. So for the next X number of weeks, we'll be in the book of Colossians, and we're going to study this. It's it's a letter from the Apostle Paul, and I think the truths of this book are really relevant for us today. We see the the great power and might of Jesus is greater than, as we sang those worship songs, just reflecting on those lines, like he has no rival, that power is greater than all else. And we're going to see that we as believers, if we have a genuine living faith, then we actually get to share in that greater than power. So to do that, today we're going to start with just the first 14 verses, um, and there's a lot there. Um, So I'd encourage you to have your Bibles with you so you don't get lost, Um, so you know I'm not making it up either, it's right there in the text, Um, and we're going to be going verse by verse through today, just to to start to open up this book and see what the author's trying to communicate to us. So we're going to start here in verse 1 to 2. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. So what he's doing here is he's providing us just a bit of introductory context in the greeting. From this, we know that it's written by the Apostle Paul, the man who had an encounter with Jesus, who went from trying to kill Christians to then trying to convert people to Christianity. 
He became a prolific church planter. And now he's writing back to this church in Colossae. And he says he writes to them by the will of God, meaning he's actually recognizing God's divine instruction and inspiration for this letter. So we know that this is from God for that time and for us as well today. And we find out later as well that Paul is facing a hardship of his own, and he doesn't hide it from the church. He says in the last verse, remember my chains. So he himself is actually living this. He's in prison. He's gone through sickness and all sorts um, of horror. And even in this place, he can say, I know these things to be true because I've experienced them for myself, even through the worst of times. He knows that God's power is greater than. And if you're familiar with Paul's letters as well, you would know that he usually writes back to a church to sort of encourage, but also to correct and reform, right? With any institution, organization, um, churches even, you start with a vision and then it sort of tends to drift. And there'll be times where it comes back and reforms and it'll drift again. And Paul's writing here to this church to do the same thing. Some of the churches he wrote to went too far to the right were like ultra-conservative, legalistic, overly religious. And he said, no, no, there's, there's grace and there's forgiveness. And then some of the churches were just overly progressive, too far to the left. And they were doing crazy things with their mother-in-laws in the Corinthian church. And Paul writes to both of them and says, no, no let's find what some biblical truth is. And for the church in Colossae, it's no different. So maybe there's not a massive crisis, um, but he refers to something throughout this Uh, this book, and as you read it through um, now, you'll see, um, he refers to it as a philosophy or um, a false teaching or deceit. So we know here that something is going on. There's some sort of pressure or or power of temptation or a false teaching that is coming upon these believers in this moment, causing them to drift from a true understanding of the Christian faith. And to some extent, I think it's making people lose confidence in their own salvation, So we don't know exactly what that teaching was. We have an idea, which we might look at a bit later. Um, But there's this false teaching. It's putting pressure on the church to actually stand firm and be confident in their faith. And this is really the testing period to see if people have a genuine and living faith. So the verses we're about to look at here, verse 3 to 12, is a prayer of thanksgiving. And it's not just someone's unimportant devotional prayer that we shouldn't really be looking at. But really what Paul's doing is he's describing genuine Christian faith. He's saying, here are the markers, here are the signposts, the life signs of a faith that is actually alive and a faith that can withstand these pressures. So if you hang in here with a few more moments, promise there'll be a warm cup of coffee at home for you wrapped up later. Hang in here for a few minutes and we're going to see four life signs, four life signs of a living faith. So we'll start in verse three for the first half of verse four as well. First life son here, faith. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So he says this first sign is faith, but it's, it's more specific than just faith. When I fill up at 7-Eleven these days, and you've probably had this experience as well, you put the nozzle in and you just start to see those numbers ticking. And it's like higher and higher and higher. And when is this going to end? When is this going to end? When is this going to end? For me, that's an act of faith right? Because I haven't paid yet. I'm just standing there putting the fuel in. I'm having faith in the specific object of my bank account in that moment to hopefully come through for me um, and to be able to pay by the time I get to the counter. There has to be a specific object of faith 
that is actually able to achieve what needs to be achieved, unless elsewise, then your faith is in vain. It's pointless. And some of you here today might describe yourself as maybe a man or a woman of faith. Maybe you have faith that there's a God or faith that there's a heaven and that somehow you're eligible to enter into this heaven. And we also live in a day and age where we focus on the sincerity of faith over the object. We say, you know, that person was kind or well-meaning or committed to their faith. They were devoted or because of their faith, they were very generous. But Paul says that that's too general. That's, that's not it. That kind of faith is not living. That is a dead faith because only faith in the object that can actually save you is going to save you, right? Your faith must be specifically and exclusively in the person of Christ Jesus, Because Jesus is the only object of faith that actually has the power to achieve for you, on your behalf, salvation. So faith in itself is not a sign of living faith, of genuine Christianity, but faith in the specific and exclusive person and work of Jesus Christ is faith that saves. And if you were to die today and to stand before God and he he looks at you and he says, why should I let you into my kingdom? If you come up with some answer like, well, you know, I'm just a, I'm a faithful person. People have told me that I was a man of faith. I gave to the church because of my faith. It's not going to cut it. It has to be specifically and exclusively and also personally in the work of Jesus, paying the penalty for your sin so that in the eyes of God, you are now righteous and can enter into his kingdom. It's specific and it's exclusive and it's personal. It's not something that you're born into. It's not something you can catch like the spicy flu by just hanging around church for too long. It has to be specific, exclusive and personal. So the question for you is what comes to mind when you think of Jesus? Do you really have genuine faith that he alone, nothing else exclusively, specifically and personally him alone can save. Where's your faith at? It's the first life sign that Paul brings to us here, faith in Christ alone. And then he moves on in verse 5 to hope. He says, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. He's saying this, this hope is not internal, it's external, it's stored up for you in heaven. You know, not that you need to be a hopeful person or you just have to keep hoping that things are going to get better and get right and, and turn out great in the end, but he's talking about a specific external hope, an other than outside of yourself kind of hope. And he positions it in a way here in this passage, it's, it almost elevates it above love and faith there for just a second. Because it says faith and love spring from hope. They, they flow from it. And I think the reason he does that is because the opposition that we sort of, as we read between the lines in Colossians, the opposition that we start to see um, is that the Gentile Christians were sort of being challenged and were threatened like, you know, your, your faith doesn't really get the, the inheritance of heaven like our Jewish faith does, right? So there's actually division and hurt happening amongst the Christians. It's not even from outside the church, it's inside the church that is the threat and opposition. And that's where he highlights this hope is shared for all who are in Christ. 
This hope is in heaven, not in oneself or one's right understanding or one's lineage or which family they were born into. He says this hope is for all who have that living faith in Jesus. Those are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God, the place that has been prepared for those who are in Christ, the perfect kingdom without war and without strife, the eternal kingdom, the everlasting kingdom. And I think today, if you're feeling a sense of opposition to your hope, then maybe it's time to check where is that hope placed? Because if it's internally placed, I can understand that, right? It's understandable that your internal hope is under threat. Just, just look around. We're told that this new normal, as we sort of looked at a couple of years ago, was like, okay, we'll find a way, we'll get through, we'll get better, everything will be good again in a couple of years. It's not worked out so well, all right? We've just moved into a more complex and confused and divisive time. There's constant disruption and crisis and chaos. It feels just like one thing after the next, after the next, after the next, so if that's where your hope is, it, it's pretty obvious that that's not great soil for it to flourish. But I think whether you're camping, you know, on the radical left or right or the spectrum in between, wherever you are, we all know that the only hope is up, right? The perfect and eternal kingdom of God, that is our hope. That's what defines what we do now up until that point too. And that's what secures us. Hebrews 6 here the writer says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So when we start to drift and when people start to try and deceive us with lies and when we fall into temptation or into sin, whatever it is, we know that there is a hope that anchors our soul. We know what it is to come and it informs how we are to live now. It's genuine. It's everlasting. And if today you're feeling hopeless, maybe it's time to consider that shift of hope from internal to external from temporary to everlasting, from earthly kingdoms to heavenly kingdoms. These pressures, the deceptions that came upon the church in, Col um, in Colossians, they come crashing down on us as well in new ways and different ways. And if we don't want to drift, if we want to be assured of our faith, if we want to stand firm and endure, then we need to know where that hope is. Third one here, Paul emphasizes the fact that love is a life sign of faith. And if we just go back to verse four as well there for a second, he says, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. And then here we go, we learned it from Epaphras. I'm sorry, Josh. I think I confused him for that, to be honest. Um, we learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is faithful minister of, the Christ, of Christ on our behalf. And who also told us of your love in the Spirit. And as you can imagine, having now been a youth leader for six or so years, um, I've had my fair share of difficult kids. None of yours. They're perfect. <laughs> They're without sin, I promise. <laughs> so I'll keep this example interstate. But one of my... <laughs> One of my youth kids from my last youth ministry, I, I got on really well with him, um, and he's, we've got a great relationship, all good things to say about him, but he was one of these kids that reminded me of a bit of like a golden retriever. Like he had, he was stronger than he realized he was, and he was always so excitable and bubbly and involved, and he would end up hurting people in games um, because of it. And there was one specific thing that, like, you know when you walk into the corner of your bed and you, 
you, you hit it so many times that now that you think about it, you can almost feel the pain going up and down your leg. I've got one of those situations with this guy because what he used to do, he loved his AFL. Um, if you've ever seen AFL, I don't recommend you watch it too often, but if you've ever seen it, <laughs> they, they have this thing where you specky, like push off the back of somebody else to jump up and catch the ball. So that only really works in the context of the game where people are expecting it and if you use the right technique. This guy had neither of them. So I'd just be standing there on a youth night and he would come full speed running up to me and jump up and just kneecap into the center of the spine. <laughs> so at any time, I'd just be standing there quietly by myself, I would just have this knee just straight through my back and I'd be honestly sore for days. And as I think about it, I can still feel what that felt like for me. Getting old, that's true, Meryl. But this kid, right, there were times where I would turn around, it's been a long Friday, and this kid puts his knee through my back, and it almost bubbled over into some physical responses, but it didn't. Um, And I just think for us, it's a silly example, but there are times where it feels in our life that people literally are intentionally trying to inflict pain. They are trying to hurt us. Maybe it's the way that they speak to you, the things that they speak over you, the things that they do, they, they let you down. Maybe it's just they're so frustrating and annoying. It just feels like they are inflicting pain in your life. And then you have this question, you read verses like this, and you're like, how is it possible toward a person like that to be able to even muster up an ounce of love when they've just hurt you so badly? And I I really think that the answer is it's it's not possible on your own. In some cases, we we can't in and of ourselves find the strength and the patience and the character to love people who repeatedly hurt us like this. And this is exactly why love is a key life sign of faith, because if you then are able to love somebody like that, or if you see somebody loving somebody in that way, regardless of what they've done, you have to think, maybe that love is outsourced. Maybe that's not a love in and of themselves, but it's actually from a source of divine love. Paul says, love all people, but that the love is in the Spirit. God's love, His ultimate source of love, because He is love, is unconditional. It doesn't have an agenda. It can't be dried up or run out. There's no limit. It's unending, inexhaustible, divine love, which as believers we have access to. That's why I was able to, through the patience and the pain, love this kid, and over time see how God was working in his life. And the Colossians were facing this heresy, this philosophy, this threat, and likely internal. But now they have this challenge to love all the saints, love one another, even those who have hurt themselves, even those who are saying, you know, you're not part of the kingdom, to love one another. And I think that's a really good sign, a test of our faith, if we are drawing on that divine source of love to be able to love regardless of what that person has done. 1 John 7 to 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. There's the source. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So the question is for you, Christian, are you letting the temptation of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness get the better of you, rather than relying on that source of divine love. 
And for you non-Christian, being filled with bitterness and unforgiveness, it's, it's not a pleasant state of being. It feels like that weight of bricks, and this suggests that you don't need to carry that any longer. That if you turn to God, allow Him to fill you with this unending flow of love, not only will He transform your life, but He'll give you the power to transform and to love others as well. So we've got faith, hope, love, and at this point it seems nice just to wrap it all up in a neat little bow, and he does that in other parts of Scripture. But fortunately for us, Paul goes on to this fourth sign of a living faith, and he says it's power. Sounds a bit like something out of Marvel, right? (laughs) This spiritual power. So we're going to read it and unpack it together. So here we go, verse 9 to 12. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have endurance and patience giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I just think that is a stunning passage. I mean, how, how often do we think about those words, that we have access to the same power and presence of God that spoke the earth into existence, that raised from the dead? God dwells in you. He is available to you. And that's why I think power is this life sign of a living faith, because it's only available to those who are actually in Christ and who have received the Holy Spirit. But how many of you have reached a point where you say, you know what, I'm that that pallet of bricks, that force of water, the pressure that has been put on me, it's it's too much. I just can't do it anymore. In those places. If you have a living faith, you share in that unending source of power and you have the power to be patient, to be resilient through your circumstances and not from them. You have the power to work and to love and to serve and to give even when it seems impossible or maybe even ridiculous in some cases. You might think there's no way I can love that person after what they have done to me, but know today that there's power in Christ Jesus to do so. You might think there's no way I can love and serve my family this week with the pressure that work is putting on me. But there's power in Christ Jesus to do so. And you might think, you know, you're just swallowed in this guilt and in this shame every time you look at yourself or think about the failure that you're starting to believe that you are. But in Christ Jesus, there's power to overcome those thoughts and walk in the freedom and the victory that he makes available to all. And the best part about this power, it's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we can muster up. It's not like, you know, when you get the balloon and you rub it on your head for like a minute and then you get this tiny little zap of electricity. If we read it again, we see here that it is from God. It says, God to fill you, right? It's it's His doing of filling you with the Spirit that then you receive the power of the Spirit. It says that the Spirit gives so that you May. And, you know, if you think about any other world religions, they're changing that phrasing there. They're saying, you know, if you this, if you X, Y, Z, then maybe you'll receive power to do this. If you are some sort of spiritual elite, then, but it says so that you 
may. It's a, it's a profound statement of God's grace towards you before you have done anything. He says, so that you may bear fruit, grow in the knowledge of God, find strength when you're weary, have patience and joy. This is what the power of God can do in your life. So today's a chance for you to, to take stock and see, where is this in my life? Where's evidence of divine power in my life? One commentator on this passage, he said, the test of faith is whether it makes any difference in the way that we live and treat others. The test of faith is whether it makes any difference in the way that we live and treat others. Do you actually have God's power in your life to treat others differently to what you would have apart from Christ? And I think if we're honest today, we, you know, when we think about God's power, like it's, it's great to think about those big, awe-inspiring, miraculous moments where God just breaks through and something incredible happens. But I think in reality, in this moment, in our lives, we can just see that we need God's power just to show up each and every day as a decent husband, as a, as a good mother, as a good worker or student to get through the day without bitterness or slander against somebody else. We need God's power to show a smile to that person who we just find so frustrating and annoying. We need God's power to, when we look at ourselves, have positive thoughts rather than shame and regret. We need God's power because it's greater than, it's other than, it's unrivaled power greater than false philosophies that plagued the Colossians church and greater than anything you've endured or everything you will endure, God's power is greater than. And it's available to those with a living faith. He finishes here in the last two verses. He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the reward. He's saying, for those who have a living faith, you're going to have power, steadfastness to overcome the pressures of this world. You're going to have power, the Holy Spirit's power to be able to love and to grow, to bear fruit, to be patient, to be kind, to be joyful, regardless of your circumstances. And then also you have redemption and forgiveness of sins. In Christ alone, specifically and exclusively, and it must be personally for you as well. So if today's a diagnostic of your faith and expedition looking for life signs, are you found to be alive? Do you have evidence of faith, love, hope, and the Spirit's power in your life? And if yes, then how can you be growing in each of these areas? And if no, then today is that day to place your faith in the only object that can save and enter into this life of living faith, where a hope is set for you, an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven that is everlasting and not temporary, one that cannot be taken away with flooding or sickness or conflict. Jesus has so much for you. So today, if that's you, I just want to pray. And if you pray with me now, I'd encourage you just to lay that, not in the, the power of the prayer itself, but in the attitude, a shift of hope and faith towards Jesus Christ as you pray. And know and be assured today that you can withstand the pressures and you can endure through this life until the, thing, until the day that God makes all things right and good. So let me pray. Jesus, I know that I continue to drift. I know that I continue to wander away from your will 
and to sin. She says, I know that I've offended you as a perfect and holy God, but today I put my full faith and hope in the person of Jesus Christ, who I know died and raised again for the forgiveness of my sins. And God, today would you fill me with your Spirit's power? Would you empower me to walk in your ways, in love and faith and in hope, in patience and joy, regardless of trial? God, help me by your Spirit's power to be faithful to you all the rest of my days. And God, for us just here this morning as a church, I just ask um, that in this challenge of Paul's, just these first few verses, God, just seeing what a living faith looks like, would you help us to have assurance and confidence that it's not by anything that we can do, but it is by Christ alone in the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross that we are saved But God, help us to grow in these evidences of our faith. Help us in those moments to recognize that we have your Spirit's power and we don't need to rely on our own resource or lack thereof, but we can draw from your unending and divine resource to live faithfully in this world. So we thank you, Jesus, for making that available to us. Thank you that you didn't just leave us here with no chance of survival, but that you drew near to us, came close to us, just as we remembered in communion. And you've empowered us in your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to end this, this morning with a blessing, so I encourage you to stand and to join in worship together. Thank you for listening today. If you live locally here in the Ipswich region, we would love to invite you to come and join us in person uh, here at one of our Sunday gatherings at Whitehill. For more information on our services or our ministries, head on over to our website at whitehill.church. If you're interested also in taking next steps in your relationship with Jesus, please also at our website, hit the connect button and let us know where you're at. We would love to catch up with you either over a coffee or on a phone call to chat with you about where you're at. We hope you've enjoyed watching this message and we pray that God would continue to bless you as you seek to seek Him in your daily life. God bless.